I know many of you probably follow us on Instagram and you might also follow this guy, James Sylvester, uh, on Instagram. He is a family friend of ours who is an amazing outdoor photographer. We have been blessed to have a number of his photos in our house. He's taken photos of us in the garden. If you go to our website, a lot of the pictures on there that you'll see that look really good were taken by James. The good ones are from James. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So James and I got together and we made a little video about his uh, photographs. And mainly it was because I've pushed him into doing it. He has so many cool photographs and he's just putting on it them on Instagram and not really heavily promoting himself. And I said, Hey, let's sit down and do a video and let's talk about why you love outdoor photography and let's share some of your photos. If you are looking for a great gift to give somebody for the holidays, or you're just looking for a great picture to hang on your wall, uh, consider James's photography. It's affordable. You can get it in canvases and many different sizes. He's also going to start printing on metal, which sounds really cool. I haven't, I haven't actually seen one yet, but it sounds really neat. And uh, you can also get prints if you wanted to put them in frames. You can go to sylvesterphotos.com or follow him on Instagram at sly underscore sylvester uh, to learn more about. You can also go to our website, huntharvesthealth.com slash sylvesterphotos to watch the video. And if you decide to buy something from him, you will get $10 off by using the promo code HHH, all caps, 10. So HHH, 10, that will help support the Hunt and Harvest Health podcast, and it will get you $10 off your first photo. Yeah, and I'd like to add, let me just say this about James. Yeah. Um, yeah, if anybody goes to, looks at any of his, his photos that he's got on Instagram and, and whatnot, they are unbelievable. Um, I still can't figure out how he, how he does it. He, uh, yeah. He's done. He's done some hunts with us, and he he did come with me on a hunt to Eastern Montana. Oh, two years ago, I believe. Um, we wanted to get him a good buck, and he did. He got a great buck, and uh, you know, after that, he was just kind of taking photos. Um, we we got his buck right away. Well, the photos he takes versus the photos I take, like I don't have an eye for it, but he really does. So all the good photos came from James and his cameras. Yeah, I, when we did those pictures with him in the garden last summer, not this summer, unfortunately, we should have done some this summer, but last summer, those are those some of the ones on our website. They just turned out really neat. I also like the way he talks a little bit in the video about how he edits. So his editing is also what makes the picture very unique. And especially his wildlife photography, we have a photo here in our living room of a rainbow trout. And that is really what stimulated me when, when they gave us that as a gift. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to do something with this. These are amazing. So his editing skills are really cool. And what he does with his pictures are really unique. But uh, go ahead and, and check him out uh, and use that promo code to, to, to get a discount. But um, either way, we like to support people in this industry. We like to support our family and friends. And we like to support people that support hunting in a healthier way of life. So check that out. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. This is Doc Hillary. I'm sitting here with Ryan, which is a rare treat this time of year. It's mid-October. And he is actually home, which is well. It's October, rare. yeah. September, I wasn't here very much, but uh, you're usually just, not here in October either. But I think you've got you've have a few good hunts under your belt in the last month, and you've opted out of your mule deer hunt this year. Yeah, a Washington hunt. Washington for a couple reasons. Yeah, I mean, um, a couple elk put them down, and uh, got a lot of meat and. Not only am I slammed with work playing catch up right now, we got some fishing openers that are keeping us very busy, but also our mule deer kind of took it uh, pretty hard last winter. So at least uh, one of the areas that I like to go into, so I don't feel too bad about giving them a break this year and not going in and, and uh, taking one out of the out of the herd. So um, got a couple good hunts coming up, which uh, 
you know, I'm looking forward to. But yeah, here the latter part of October, just staying home, getting stuff done. And well, it's your birthday in two days. I'm um, never here. As I, our daughter continually, every single day, reminds us it's his birthday in two days. And I don't even remember the last I don't year remember. I've been here on my birthday. Yeah, his <laughs> his birthday falls right in in the beginning of opener usually for Washington Mule Deer. I don't. I think in 22 years, I've maybe spent less than four or five years. I don't even think that many with no. you here. No, that's always been the best part of having a birthday in October is that uh, that Washington deer hunt. We always go on it. It's right in the middle of it, so we're usually gone, and I'm I'm up there either by myself or with uh, with Joe um, Joe Pyburn. We're usually together up there on the hunt. So great place to spend a birthday, but. Yeah, I don't mind. I know my daughter's pretty excited that um, she'll she'll get to uh, throw a little party for me this year. So it's pretty. Fun. Oh yeah, and we're time. having a big party. You better watch out. <laughs> well, maybe not a big one, but my daughter, <laughs> I know how she works. No, she's she the operates. party planner. She will cut and paste and tape stuff together to make a party, no matter what. She does that for everybody. It's pretty uh, pretty cool. Well, she wants to buy you a mountain bike. That's what she really wants you to have. <laughs> because we had a theft at our house. Yeah. Um, and Ryan's mountain bike actually got stolen. So she is just every day, Mom, we need to buy Dad a new mountain bike. Hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of mountain bike to buy your dad. I don't. She wants to go to the store and buy a mountain bike. And I'm so... Like my tolerance for actually doing that is pretty low and figuring out which one it is. And we had that, you had that bike so long, we couldn't even remember yeah. the name of it it's when a, the sheriff it came. It was a we really like, good oh. bike. It was, um, yeah, yeah it was a bike I've used forever, but, um, yeah, an expensive bike. Somebody actually broke in, broke into the garage and stole some stuff out of there. Yeah. It's a Ugh. bad deal. Yeah. So she'd like to get you a mountain bike, but I'm like, Daddy can, maybe, yeah, we could go and Daddy can buy his own mountain bike. And yeah. <laughs> oh, she's funny. She's so excited about it. So, yeah, this is a rare year where he's sitting here in mid-October um, talking, not up in the mountains. So what I thought we could do today is we have had, obviously, a lot of elk meat floating around this house. Uh, Ryan has had two very successful, well, he had a successful mule deer in Nevada, uh, but a mule deer does not uh, supply the amount of meat that an elk supplies. <laughs> One elk is pretty crazy. It's uh, it's a lot of meat. So he's had two elk, and we've been processing meat a lot in the last month and a half. So yeah, I thought it would be fun because when people see the meat or they see the pictures, they want to know the stories. And I know we don't tell a whole lot of time lot of stories on here. I think mainly, you know, we want to talk to other people and hear their stories. And Ryan tends to end up on other podcasts where he's sharing stories on those podcasts. But I think it'd be cool for you to talk about uh, your two elk yeah, this year because they're pretty cool stories. We can just do kind of a recap on how the season has gone so far. It's been, it's been a really good season. Um, unexpectedly, uh, you know, obviously that mule deer hunt, which I don't think we even told the story, that mule deer hunt down in Nevada, but um, we'll do that maybe another day. But um, as far as elk season, yeah, so here in Washington, um, you know, I had an elk tag for my home state, and that was first and foremost. So it's a hunt I do every year. Um, you know, I'm, I, I go into old haunts typically, but I also always try to look at new areas while I'm investigating my old haunts. It's kind of what I did this year. Um, always just kind of pushing the boundaries outward and finding, finding other areas. Some years the elk are in there. Sometimes they're talking, sometimes they're not. So, you know, this year, um, it was like every year I, for, I don't know how long it seems like when I go into the elk woods in Washington, the weather quickly turns garbage in in no time so the the day i went in it was great um i don't remember the day that was uh in september there and uh yeah i went in solo trip um put a bunch of miles between the trailhead and uh and where i was and and shoot yeah it kind of started off slow 
uh, really, really quiet elk woods, um, which is never a good sign. Usually when you're hiking in in the dark, you like to hear some elk talking from the trail, but uh, I was hearing nothing, and uh, that first day I heard nothing um, in the, uh, the little basin I was in, so you know, quickly, I, I recognized there was some sign. There was, there was definitely elk in the area, but <clears throat> the rut wasn't really happening yet. There was not a whole lot of scrapes. There was a few starting, but nothing aggressive. So I, I quickly kind of just bombed around um, in search of areas, um, you know, and I was willing to put in the days it took, you know, until the rut kicked in um, or, you know, at least until I found a bull that was willing to play or I could pick a fight with, but, uh, but yeah, that hunt went from very pleasant weather in the beginning to, um, I kind of got up into the higher country and and it got bad fast. It got sleety. It got snowy. I think a lot of people, um, just kind of following social media this year, a lot of people, Idaho, Montana, um, a lot of the States, we got hammered, um, there in September with kind of a unexpected snowstorm. And that was same here in the high country of Washington. Um, you know, we, we just got a lot of sleet. We got, we didn't get the snow accumulations. We just don't here on the coast. Um, but we did get the sleet and the wet, um, temps dropped and all that fun stuff. So, um, I think if I had my preference, I would take a nice cold, dry snow any day of the week over the 32 degree sleet. 34 degree sleet yeah. that we typically get here um, that for whatever reason just feels twice as cold. Um, yeah, it gets, gets you wet and you got to figure out ways to dry out at, at night. So um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it went from, like I mentioned, nice to, to bad in a hurry. But before, actually it turned bad the second day, but before it did, I had a really good opportunity at a bowl um, up in this new area. And, uh, you know, I just kind of found it. it was a nice finger, um, finger ridge. It dropped down and, and, uh, found some wallows and, um, shoot, I worked this bull. Everything was perfect. Uh, he, he was, he was actually pretty dang aggressive and, and, uh, picked a fight with him, kind of worked my way below him. Uh, the wind was right. It wasn't perfect. Uh, it wasn't coming straight down like I would have, you know, hoped, but it was coming sideways and he was above me. I worked into a position where he was above me, which, um, you know, for elk hunters out there, they kind of know that's how big bulls prefer it. If, if you don't set yourself up below them, they're probably going to go ahead and get above you anyway. They like to come down on you, uh, when they're trying to look bigger and be, you know, be the aggressor and, and win the fight. So I try to get a little bit underneath them, um, which worked out well with the wind. So Man, I had that bull within 15 yards, and he was coming over. I was fully drawn, and and shoot, the wind switched. Um, you know, it's nothing new. It happens all the time, but that was a pretty dang good bull. He came up and over, and I could see his, his antlers, and I could see his, his, you know, head and neck, and he was coming in, not looking. He was just coming straight down and, and looking to fight, and he got that scent line and, and blew out. It was unfortunate, but... Um, I know where he lives, and uh, unless he gets shot, I'm going to definitely be, hopefully, going back in after him next year. It's a pretty dang good bull. But anyway, so that's when the wind, the weather really, really, really turned bad. Um, wind kicked in, uh, got rainy, wet. And, you know, I'm running around up there in a, in a little one-man tent. I'm not, I'm not uh, smart enough to pack a, a teepee tent with a stove yet. Um, I don't, you're not have smart a, enough. I think you're plenty smart enough. Well, you just don't like to I say that you were living in the lap of luxury. I have not made that investment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, this would have been a great year. There was no bugs. Um, it, the temperature dropped and, and everything would have been great for a, a nice little stove and a teepee, but, uh, you know, oh, well, I'm used to it. I do always pack a little, um, a little lightweight tarp so I can, I can get out of the rain. Um, kind of extend my vestibule out a little bit uh, and not just have the vestibule as a as a break so it's nice to have that but um, anyway so yeah uh, I spent probably another day and a half up there in the tops and the wind was so bad I just I couldn't get 
any bugle and I, I couldn't hear anything. It just didn't have that feeling like anything was going to happen that was good. So I ended up kind of dropping down, went to a whole completely different area. Um, just wanted to get down out of that weather, um, you know, find find some bulls that were in the lower country that weren't getting pounded with, with weather. And uh, got down kind of in a um, bottom and marshy area and I'd seen this area before I I'd found some some rubs in there and I knew it was kind of an area that would probably you know have some rut in action cows were definitely always going to be in that low grassy type meadow um, and sure enough I, I got in there and I started seeing some sign there were some pretty good shredded trees in there some real good ones too and, um, and yet I wasn't getting any calls I still was not getting bugles um, over in this new area as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it's frustrating to say the least when you're not getting critters to call back. Uh, you know, I knew they were there. I knew they could hear me, but for whatever reason, it was still a little early. Um, we don't have in Washington, we don't have the luxury of hunting into that fourth week of September. Um, as nice as that would be, we, our season kind of shuts down, um, you know, that early part of the third week of September. So we just don't get that late part. And, uh, you know, a lot of our bulls rut a little bit later. So they kind of rut into October. Uh, but yeah, what, what ended up doing was just keeping the wind right. I think that was kind of the, the secret to this success on this one when they're quiet, you know, and you don't hear them just keeping the wind right at all times, kind of form a, a guess to where these critters are going to be, where they're coming down, where they're, where they're feeding and all that. Um, yeah, one of the mornings I ended up kind of getting on the bottom of this draw and working my way up and again, nothing talking, nothing calling. So I was doing a lot of brush breaking. Um, I've mentioned this before. It's one of my favorite things to do to how to, you know, work a big herd bull in is, um, especially when they're quiet, it's just uh, break brush, scrape a lot, um, snap twigs, make popping sounds, do what elk do, make make noises, um, make elk noises. So, <laughs> Hill's looking at me like, this sounds like crazy talk. Oh, <laughs> no, it sounds great. I'm imagining you like running taking, through the forest, like swinging at trees and stuff. Taking I don't know. branches and breaking them over my yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's very liberating. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> brings the elk in. Yeah. I don't know about liberating. but uh, I'm imagining, though, that an elk sounds pretty loud in the forest, like with his antlers rubbing up against things and banging and running through trees. And I'm sure when well, a real elk is doing it, it's pretty loud, right? It's surprising how quiet they actually are. Mm. But where... Their hooves are stepping on sticks. You know, you got an 800-pound animal stepping on a stick. It pops pretty fast. And it's a definitely a distinct pop um, when an elk steps on a stick. Surprisingly, the only way you hear their antlers, um, you know, scraping on trees is if they are intentionally scraping them on trees. Mm-hmm. It's not like when they're just walking, you hear antlers scraping through the timber as they're walking through. They're really good about twisting and tweaking mm-hmm. their head. It's pretty impressive. I have no idea how they do it. I've seen them in brush fields. Um, they can they can blow through an alder field um, and not make a whole lot of noise. Their antlers somehow, they figure out how to weave them through that mess. And I know I can't get through there without making a whole crud ton of noise. But Now, the noises that they are making is, uh, is you know, when they're intentionally out scraping trees um, and or just walking. You know, they pop sticks when they walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, I, the morning that, uh, that morning I was talking about, so working up this draw, wind was perfect. Um, and, uh, up until that point, the wind is always goofy for whatever reason. I like mule deer hunting in the, in the high country because the wind gets pretty, it's more consistent, but elk woods, man, the wind is, that's like your number one enemy. It's always it's always slapping you in the face. It's always coming up behind you and going the wrong direction at the last minute. And it's just a bugger, but it's frustrating. Um, but this morning, the wind actually happened to be coming down consistently. And, uh, 
and it was a pretty wide open meadow. I could see, you know, probably 80 yards out in places. And, um, you know, I could see, I, I came on to, uh, kind of the feed area that I'd found. There was a lot of grass and saw some cows up there. Um, it was about seven or eight cows. And, uh, I knew there had to be a bull, you know, this is, I don't remember what day this was. I should have this like memorized, but I don't, um, it was probably like the, I don't know, 20th, when did you go? 20th of September, somewhere in there. <laughs> I don't know. All your getting, trips seem to blur into each other was, for me. Yeah. It was at that point where they, you know, they're, they're, they're rutting. They're starting to rut. Um, cause the bull that was in there was, was, uh, putting a weapon on some pretty big branches, pretty mm-hmm. big trees, pretty big alders, and cedars and all that. So, um, yeah, it was, it's one of those deals where I saw the cows and I knew, um, it was thick enough. There's probably a bull close by, even though he was not making any noise. He was not bugling. He was not, um, chuckling. Absolutely nothing. Cause I'd gone, you know, I was up early in the dark pitching bugles in there, nothing. Um, but I knew he was in there. So I, you know, as soon as I saw those cows, I started scraping the tree and I always carry around a big, you know, when you're in the elk woods, um, it's always good. Like if you're in elky area, I always carry around a pretty big branch that I'm using to scrape up timber or smack, smack trees or used to snap things off. And, um, I use a little bit bigger, uh, diameter hunk of wood than most people might. I don't know why it's, it just sounds more like an antler to me. So, you know, this thing is like three, three plus inches in diameter. It's pretty big. And so I start scraping a tree, you know, every branch I see, I'm, I'm smacking it, breaking it. And I like to slam that, that, um, that stick up against those alders. And it just kind of sounds like they do when they're getting all aggressive and, um, beating up on a tree. And so, uh, yeah, I did that. And as soon as I did that, I heard a bull start doing the same thing. He was just off where I couldn't see and he starts scra- scraping stuff up and he just got fired up. You could tell he was just going at it with this branch. So, um, you know, I just kept snapping stuff and, you know, if I see something kicking it, trying to pop it, sound like an elk. And sure enough, man, it didn't take any time hardly. And that bull, I saw him coming straight in, you know, um, fast and uh, sure enough he came straight in he turned he got he gave me a really nice perfect he had no idea where I was um, which I was surprised because he was looking straight ahead and he gave me a nice perfect side shot on him um, which you know one thing uh, I like about trying to pick a fight with a bull by breaking brush and you know sometimes it's it's the bugling and all that screaming is they like to come in and show off their antlers, you know, after the stick break in and the, you know, that whole rigmarole, they usually come in and they, they give you a visual, you know, they want to intimidate that other bull by kind of showing off. And, um, that's what he came in to do, but he came in hot. He was, uh, there was snot pouring out of his nose. He was, he was fired up. He was ready to fight. He thought I was a bull. Um, and so came in, um, went behind this little, uh, little fir tree and I drew, he stepped past, he went past it and gave me a perfect 17 yard shot. And, um, and I drilled it and, uh, yeah, it was, it was just one of those scenarios is like, holy smokes. You know, I've been working for day after day after day after day, trying to, trying to pick a fight with a bull or get anything to be really fired up. And I had that one good experience where I was so close and that was just a wind issue that blew that one up. But um, but now I've been working, working, working. And it just happened that fast. It's like you see cows scraping. He runs in. I shoot him. And he did not go very far at all. Um, mm-hmm. He went about 125 yards and, and tipped over. And He tipped over in a, in a pretty boggy, marshy area. Um, that basin, I don't know, that's not really a basin. It's just kind of this hole in the coast of Washington here is really wet and boggy, um, some little creeks coming off the hill and just, uh, you know, that top with all the rain that we were getting, it just never stopped raining that whole time it was raining. And, um, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, when he first came in, I, I could tell it was just a great bull. The red antlers on this thing was, um, really, really, really cool, really just bright red, 
um, you know, these things are, they're rubbing on alders and, uh, and here in Western Washington, these alders are, they put out a nice red, Hmm. um, redness to the antlers when critters, blacktail, um, or elk rub on them. So just almost a bright, um, almost a fake looking orangey yeah, red they're so color. Pretty. They really, they really catch your eye. Yeah. And wow. that toppled with, you know, the rain, you know, he was soaked. Everything was soaked. That really makes that color pop. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just a beautiful bowl. And man, yeah, every time, you know, something like that happens, you walk up and you're just like, gosh, I cannot believe that happened. But now this animal, especially is just a huge for a Roosevelt elk. Um, you know, he had a rack that, uh, that looked like a Rocky, just a giant. So great bull. Um, it's always unexpected when you get something like that, but, uh, everything worked out. I think it was just a matter of patience, you know, you know, putting in the time and, and really just being patient with the area. Um, you know, I, I had a feeling where I was, where I started, it just was not going to happen with the weather. Um, you know, it could have maybe, and I would have definitely stuck it out up there if I could hear, but the wind just kind of changed things. So, you know, I, you know, I put in a lot of miles. Um, it was, shoot, it was a lot of miles. I think, um, my inReach tracked 52 miles I put in on that, on that hunt, just the back and forth and, and everything, um, till I got to where that bull was and, and I got him. So, yeah, it was a great bull and it's huge. These rosies, um, these Roosevelt elk, you know, they're, they're, they got a really big body. Um, and I was solo again. And, um, and so this was going to be all on me. Unfortunately, my, my hunt partner, Joe, who I usually call, he's, uh, he's always as cool as, as anybody could be about just like dropping everything and coming and helping. Well, we were slammed with work, so he was too busy to, to help. So, um, you know, I just decided, well, I'm just going to buckle down and, and get it done and do it myself. And how many uh, trips was it? Um, gosh, I don't even know. Really. I think you said it was three. It was, well, hundred pounds each load. Yeah. The total meat poundage. Yeah. It was 303 pounds total, uh, just straight meat. There's no bone there or anything. Um, that, and then, you know, a separate trip for camp and gear and my, um, and that, you know, the head the skull, the antlers and all that, which is heavy enough in it, on its own. But, um, the bugger about this one was he, where he fell, it was just kind of a mud hole. So getting it out of that, that swampy area was one thing. I spent a day breaking him down that rest of that day, breaking him down the next day, just, um, and I always pack, I always pack a lightweight pair of, um, there are these, I think, I think the name is like Choda waders. They're a Gore-Tex wader. Uh, they hardly weigh anything. They go in your pack and they're great for crossing creeks. Too many years of, uh, having to like strip your socks off and roll up your pants and you still end up getting wet, um, crossing these creeks here in Western Washington. So, um, I've, I've gone to adding a little bit of weight and packing a set of those nice hip boot Gore-Tex waders by Choda. They're awesome. So I used those to get myself out of that boggy, swampy mess. And um, and it worked great. But it took me a day to get it just out of the bog back to where there was a trail. And um, so, uh, yeah. And then it was just trip after trip after trip, yarding it back to uh, to the trailhead. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of headlights and, and night night hiking. So. Um, which I prefer because, uh, I really like to keep my area secret. <laughs> so <laughs> I've talked to people before and, uh, probably the worst thing, um, nah, I don't even know why I'm talking about this, but, um, one of the reasons, and I, I've mentioned that I use a packer before. Now I do, I've used packers before, but, uh, one of the downsides of using a packer, I'm just going to put this out there right now. And uh, why I do have kind of gone to just using friends or using myself is, uh, well, you let a packer know where you're at. He knows where you're at. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had a horrible experience a while back. I used a packer, um, pulled a big old bowl out. And, uh, boy, at that exact location where I'd hung all that meat, um, the next year, 
what do you think was sitting right there at that little flat spot where I mm. packed that bull out? A nice big tent. wall tent. Yeah. So, um, you know, you really gotta, gotta be careful with that. Um, if you're trying to be secretive and, you know, not let the world know about where your, your critters are. So, uh, gotta be some trust there, but yeah, this one, um, so in there, you know, there was not a lot of, not a lot of hunters around. There were some hikers though, and I just don't want anybody to see where I'm at. So I'm pretty dang secretive and try to do as much as I can in the dark. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, obviously that can't all be done in, in the dark, but, uh, I try to I try to avoid people's eyeballs if at all possible. Um, especially at the trailhead itself, because, uh, I really don't like folks kind of paying attention to where a bull came out of especially if it's a big one so very secretive on that but Mm -hmm. um anyway so yeah that was the first elk uh that was that was a lot of meat like i said that was 303 pounds of uh some really really good elk meat um and uh so yeah you know did a lot of burger with that did a lot of grind did a lot of different things a lot of steaks and so um yeah that was uh that was the first elk hunt of the year that was washington and then um i had one more elk tag for the year i didn't i did not purchase an idaho elk tag this year um but i did buy a montana elk tag this year so uh montana is interesting for me i've always kind of chose idaho over montana um uh and i i really wanted to get um, some more knowledge, a little more time spent in the woods of Montana, especially the kind of the Western half. And, um, I've spent a lot of time just researching areas, looking for places, you know, wild chasing deer, late season, you always over there. But, uh, this year I kind of went at it. I just wanted to see some new country, visit some old haunts again and check, check areas out. Um, that, that Western half of Montana has always intrigued me. Um, one of these years I'll, I'll, uh, you know, pull one out of the Northwest corner of Montana, which that is some of the, some of the toughest dang hunting you'll ever find. Just it's so thick. Um, but, uh, but there, you know, there's good numbers and places, um, especially in Southwest Montana. So, um, I kind of, kind of went over there and just with the intention of looking at new country, seeing new areas, exploring a bit, um, and uh, hopefully come away with a good bowl. So that's what I did. I went over and, um, you know, had a lot of spots kind of picked out on the map, some places I had hunted before, um, some areas that just outside of areas where I'd hunted before, places that looked good, places I'd seen rubs while deer hunting, um, all that. And, uh, you know, it took a few days. It took a few days to find um, some areas and some critters that you, uh, it's kind of, uh, I think one of the hardest things is when you're by yourself, um, you know, you got, just got to put in hours. You just got to spend days, mm-hmm. um, hiking and covering country and finding them, especially in this new era of wolves. Um, you can cover a lot of country, um, and, and have it be completely void of elk. I mean, some of the best prime habitat you look at, there should be elk in there. There's just not elk in there and then you'll come upon a spot that looks like everywhere else and there'll be a bowl that's got four or five bowls bugling in it and that's kind of how um, a lot of areas have been um, for me at least that's been my experience in uh, some places of idaho northwoods idaho as well as uh that western part of the uh, montana there where it's really thick so um saw some great country uh man found a a bonus buck that you know i have a i have a montana deer tag in my pocket but this buck i saw him for a short short brief second um, but he was a great buck a really good heavy mature buck and uh you know i was not able to get up on him but he just disappeared into some thick timber but um you know i gotta really see some cool elk elk woods and elk country mm. And that was some of the, some of my favorite, favorite parts. But, um, yeah, it was getting, it, it was frustrating the first four or five days. Of course, it's just tough. 
so I kind of kept changing areas, looking at new country, and and um, you know, I'm just really enjoying looking at new stuff. So ventured to a different part um, of Montana, a little bit south, and uh, had some had some you know where it's more open. It, there's some about being able to spot and see elk when they're elk hunting. It's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. You get to see them like you get to actually glass up bulls. Whereas here in Washington, uh, sometimes I wonder why I even have binoculars at times. Obviously, I always, I always have them on, but um, there's times where I don't even look at them throughout the entire day. I'll go days without looking through my binoculars. Hmm. Similar in North Idaho. Um, it could have been similar there in, in some places in Montana as well. It's just so thick. You know, everything is coming into calling. Um, you're not glassing anything up at a distance and going after it. But southern, you know, southern southwest area um, into Montana, I was looking in, into some of those areas. Yeah, it's a lot nicer. Um, well, not, maybe not nicer, but it is nice to be able to just go and uh, cover country with your eyes, especially when you got a big blanket of snow, um, had a lot of snow down there. So, you know, you can kind of see tracks with your glass and figure out where the critters are instead of just bombing around and... Uh, glass really does help for that so found a uh, found a great great area um and i was actually tipped off to this spot by a couple of good buddies they they uh they'd hunted it and had some had some laid some laid their eyes on some good animals so went in there and they're gracious enough to say hey you know give it a shot so went in checked it out and i'd, I'd always wanted to see this range and it's pretty cool really good area um Got to see, you know, bulls, like I said, at a distance. Not not probably known for the biggest of bulls, but, um, you know, numbers-wise, it, it it's pretty dang good. It's uh, much better than a lot of areas of Montana. Hmm. So That is a pretty part of Montana, over there, that southwest and yeah, north. That... You grew up in southwest Montana there, really. I did. So. Yeah, I like it there. Yeah, we got to go back and, and uh, you know, you see we're there christmas time or whatever we could go back to mm-hmm. bozeman and hang out and um, bomb around and yeah it's just a great place um, a lot of help yeah so um but yeah it's a similar now this mind you i don't think i mentioned this is in october um one of the absolute great things about montana is their extended seasons washington would get two weeks montana gets six weeks um no contest as far as opportunity. Uh, you know, Montana just has opportunity galore. It's just phenomenal. Um, you know, and if you don't tag out in archer season, you can go at them with a rifle and, uh, you know, extend your season into November. So, uh, the opportunities are just endless over there, it seems. Um, but yeah, so this was October and I knew the rut had kind of peaked and, uh, was definitely tailing off. And, you know, I still expected to hear some bugling in places, but when I got there, the weather really cooled off. There was a lot of snow. Uh, I was chaining up, you know, all four tires of my Dodge and and trying to get in. It was muddy on the down, you know, down off the hill, but it was real snowy and windswept on top. So um, full-size Dodges don't do that great in, uh, in those conditions, <laughs> snowy conditions. So, you know, um, I was definitely... Uh, using the chains on this one but yeah i got up into uh the tops of these this mountain range and uh took me a while took me three different attempts to get up there but uh once i did it was it was phenomenal found some great area and uh so the snow the snow was nice because again you can you can see like you know find the tracks and find where what canyons have bowls and what don't or what areas don't or where they have been or you know where they're at now versus where they were a week ago and right now, well, you know, when I was over there, this was, the rut was tailing off big time. In fact, I was there for four days. I never heard a bugle. Hmm. That was my experience in this range. I never did hear one bugle, which made it extremely tough. That's not what you want when you're archery hunting uh, elk. So uh, my dog is tackling me right now. Um it's only when you want to sit down and actually oh, talk man. that the kids or the animals She's go nuts like, and they start attacking you. 
the elk were not talking at all. Um, but it was pretty easy to find where they were, you know, when there's snow, there's tracks and, uh, you know, fresh snow, daily snow, it's pretty easy to find them. And I was seeing, I was seeing animals, um, just using the glass spotting them. So I knew I was in a great area, but without any calling, without any beetling going on, I knew I was going to be at a huge disadvantage trying to get in on a bull with my bow. So, uh, yeah, I was, some, some of the herds had kind of gotten large. I found a group of bulls. Oh, I don't know. There's five or six bulls in there. Uh, a couple of sixes, nothing great, but, um, you know, decent, uh, what I would consider herd bulls for my state. Um, but I was still kind of looking for, for a real mature, older class animal. And I've been seeing, I found this area where I've been seeing some pretty good, dang good tracks and they'd kind of broken off from, uh, from a main herd and kind of went into the North slope where the snow is obviously crunchy. Um, not as quiet and soft during the day as the South slope, which is kind of benefits them. Obviously nothing can, nothing like a, you know, hunter trying to sneak up on a bull and crunchy snow. It's really, really tough to do. But, um, yeah, I think it was day four. I ended up cutting a couple of tracks that, well, I came to an area, um, an opening where that night, um, the two bulls had come together and sparred a little bit. Um, and you know, you can kind of see where they spun around, you know, fought, kind of pushed each other around a bit. So, you know, without any opportunity to call and with not one call back at that point, um, you know, I kind of had to change tactics and figure out, well, going to go old school, which, you know, is not super effective, but I'm going to have to try to track one of these bulls down. So that's what I did. Um, you know, I basically knocked an arrow. I took one of the tracks from the two and it was not, you know, it was like, I don't know which bull was the victor. I don't know which one of the bulls was, um, the loser. I just picked a track and, uh, and went for it. Um, but it did look, they both had really good tracks, good size tracks. I could tell they were probably both pretty good sized bulls. So, uh, yeah, took a track and figured, well, you know, the, I don't think these bulls are traveling too far. And what I had seen is, is, you know, they're not moving that far from where they were feeding. So, um, kind of what I had planned was just to go extremely slow with my bow, get the wind right. Obviously if the wind wasn't right, I'd go back and get on the other track and try to do something different. But, um, that was, that's what I was kind of down to for opportunities was, uh, was tracking in the snow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, I could see I'd be much more confident, you know, with a muzzleloader, a rifle in my hand, that would be one thing, but with a bow boy, you're really, really at odds with, uh, success doing it that way. So I definitely wouldn't recommend it, but you know, when they're not calling, that's kind of what you're down to. So, like I said, I took a track, went after it, um, went extremely slow. Um, what I felt like I could scan everything ahead and really tell, um, try to, obviously the name of the game when you're doing that is try to spot that bull before he spots you. Um, and what I thought I'd try to do is obviously it's, it was crunchy. The the angle that, well, the side that he was on was the north side. So it was not softening up the snow. It was staying crunchy. It was in the timber, dark timber. And, uh, and I knew it would kind of be that cold, crunchy snow all day long. So, uh, I had to really go slow and, and really try to spot him before he spotted me. So that's what I did. And as I moved through the woods, obviously arrow knocked knowing it could happen at any point. Um, I also was just kind of, uh, doing some cow calling, you know, I knew I was making noise. I knew he would hear me, but I figured, you know, if I'm making some cow calling, trying to make some elk sounds that might not, they might not be so alerted to the sound of a, of a crunch. And so, um, you know, I, I try to emulate, you know, how elk would obviously walk through the woods, not just crunch, crunch, crunch like a human, but, um, definitely go slow and then, uh, yeah, make some cow sounds and, uh, long story short, I ended up getting up on that bull. Um, and it just happened to be in an area. He was bedded up into some timber. 
but like I figured he would, he stood up. Uh, as soon as I saw him, he saw me. So it was not like I was so stealthy that I got up on him and <laughs> found him in his bed and he was just, you know, taking a, a midday siesta. But now he, he spotted me as I spotted him. And I don't think he really knew what I was, but he'd heard the crunching and, and he saw movement. So, but as soon as I saw him stand up, I drew back. And uh, it's one of those things, um, you know, throughout a hunt, uh, you're always ranging stuff. I did not have opportunity to range this bull. Um, but throughout the hunt, you know, when times are slow, just try to get an eye for distances, you know, and you do get really, really good when you're, when you're in the elk woods, you're in a certain type of terrain and you're always, you know, bouncing that laser off things. You take a guess and you hit it with a range finder and eventually you get pretty dang good. And I always try to be kind of ahead of the game, knowing that, you know, oftentimes you don't have opportunity to use your range finder. Um, just like in this scenario, I think if I would have waited, pulled my range finder up, um, put it back in and then drew, I think that bull would have blown out at that point. So, um, you know, my yardage, eye told me 40 yards and, um, you know, at that point in the game, usually you're a couple yards either way, you know, you can get pretty dang good at it. Sure enough, so I put my 40 on that bull and where he stood up, his head was in the timber, but I could see his rack. Um, I see just, above you? Yeah. Yeah. He was above me. Well, 40 yards above? Do you have a hard time? No, nah, he was 40. It wasn't, that? it was not a steep angle or anything like mm. that. He was above me, but it was kind of a bench, um, just above me on the hill, but not really above me at a, at a real steep angle at all. But, um, yeah, where he stood up, I could see his antlers, um, still not knowing how big he was. He just looked like a really good mature bull and his track was really good size. So I knew, you know, this would be an animal I'd love to take. And with the opportunity that, you know, where I was in the, in the hunt, I'd been there for a while. Uh, I knew opportunities were going to be pretty tough just with, um, the snow, the crunch, the lack of bugling, where we were with the rut, bow in my hand, um, so at this point I was, I was looking for any mature bull and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I drew quick and got a great 40 yard shot on him and, um, absolutely couldn't believe it. I mean, it's just like out of nowhere, perfect situation. You get that shot and, and he takes off. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was just like a holy smokes. Can't believe like it does every time with elk, you know, things can be really, really slow it just seems like ah nothing's gonna happen this is just a waste of time or yada yada but um man i've been in so many instances like that that these days you just kind of expect it to happen because uh it can happen just so fast and uh again so many so many times you just right after you stick a bowl you're like gosh i just cannot believe that happened uh, never thought it was going to, and then bam, there it is. There's your shot. There's your opportunity. Um, just so fast. So got a shot on that bull. Um, he took off. I gave it a little bit of time. I ended up kind of working my way up. I just wanted to see, I knew I'd put a good hit, hit on him. I, everything executed just perfectly felt good. Uh, looked good. Um, knew I'd put a good hit on him. So I went up and, uh, kind of eyeballed where he was in the snow and sure enough there was blood oh not that far down the down the trail where he took off to so um i kind of backed off a little bit more gave him a little more time i just wanted to make sure i didn't push him so uh but i was feeling pretty good about being able to track this bull in the snow that's always a, a huge advantage um so uh yeah shoot i I went back in, arrow knocked, found a blood, uh, the, the blood trail. Um, I don't know. I went maybe a hundred yards and from down below in the basin, in the, in the snow, uh, fresh bear track, fresh bear track comes right up and gets right on the trail where this bull had gone. Now, when I say crunchy snow, it was crunchy, but it had softened up just by the temperature of the day, you know, now we're at midday and, 
And so this was a, obviously a fresh bear track and it was like a bloodhound. Um, he came up, he hit the, the track of that, of that bleeding bull and immediately went step for step with that elk. And so now, you know, my guard is up now I'm thinking, holy smokes. And across the Canyon, uh, the day before, um, there were some good sized grizzly tracks and, uh, plenty of grizzly sign in this country. And, uh, it's really well known for grizzly. And so, you know, this was obviously a smaller, uh, track than a grizz. I, I figured, you know, this is, this is definitely a black bear. So, um, I, I don't know what I would have done if that would have been a giant grizzly track, but, um, I could tell it wasn't. And so I kept going arrow knocked. Um, now one thing I haven't mentioned, I always carry bear spray, especially in these mountains, just because, um, I don't, I don't carry a sidearm, but, uh, I do carry the bear spray. I'm pretty, pretty, uh, pretty confident that, uh, that stuff will work a little bit better. Um, maybe not arguments out on that one but uh, a little more confident with a big waft of pepper spray versus a you know a shaking hand and a handgun <laughs> so um so first let me ask the question how close does the bear have to get to actually spray it in the face well see i'm no expert with bear spray but <laughs> <laughs> um i will finish the story and uh, okay i know all I right know, i'll ask these questions when we're done uh, yeah I'm, i know how far yeah, this one's sprayed. Um, so I keep, I keep continuing on, uh, but now I'm very, I don't think it's nervous. It's just, you're jacked up. Your heart's racing. Now you're expecting, you know, some serious action. You know, this bear's not going to stop. He's either going to be, you know, ripping your elk apart or, or you're going to come around a corner. He's going to be right in front of you. So I knew, uh, I knew there was going to be something ahead of me. Um, so I continued on again, really slow, uh, methodical to really scan, you know, above me and in front of me just to see ahead and try to, try to, you know, locate whatever, uh, before I get there. So sure enough, I get to where I can look ahead about 30 yards and I see this blood all over the ground and, uh, but there was no bull in it. Um, so I got a little closer and sure enough, it looked like from a distance, even it looked like there was a scrap. There's stuff kicked up all over the place, um, blood all over the place. It wasn't just an elk bed, but it was an elk bed. It looked like he went, that bull went there. He bedded up uh, and, and that bear probably came up onto him before he was dead. And he got that bill, that bull up and that bull obviously, you know, faced off with him and they went round and round and, yeah, I, you know, I took a lot of photos of this area, um, after the fact, but, uh, so they, they had a tussle right there. Um, like I said, there's dirt kicked up blood all over. Um, and this bear was just circling and circling and circling this area. So, um, you know, now I'm really cautious. I'm looking around, I'm looking around and I take a few more steps and I look up and there's the bull and the bull is still standing. Um, I see the big yellow body bull and he's not that far away. He's about 40 yards above me, but his head's down. Um, you know, he's just basically a dead bull, but he's still walking. And that bear is right in front of him. Um, he was just pacing. He was going back and forth. He just looked real nervous and, and, uh, obviously he was not going to leave. And so, you know, I set the pepper spray down. First thing I think is I got to get an arrow in that bull. You know, this bull is still standing up. So and that's what I did. I, I drew and it's still, this one, this one was a 40 yard shot. And, and so I slipped another arrow in him and this bull was so, um, so out of it. He was, you know, he was on the verge of just collapsing. It was just like sticking into a pin cushion. There was no reaction when, uh, when the arrow went in. And, um, like I said, it was just like a, you know, a dead elk on his feet, but, um, he started staggering and, and, you know, obviously that bear, Look, he saw me down below. He came as soon as I left, let that arrow loose, um, that bull or that bear came charging down at me. Uh, I had set the can of pepper spray in the snow, reached down, grabbed it. Um, 
and dropped the bow and immediately had that pepper spray up. And that bear came down and got, I don't know, 15, 20 feet away. And he was standing there and he did not like, not that I can, you know, read what a bear is, is thinking, but he had, he looked like he had no intention of walking away when he saw me. And so I let him have it with the pepper spray. And, uh, I gotta say, I've never fired that stuff before at a bear, but it's pretty impressive. The big cloud that comes out and that bear took it in the face and he took off. And, uh, and, um, man, I think I can stay pretty cool, calm and collected just with my nature. I think I, I stay pretty calm at times, but I could not stop shaking at that. It was just so intense, so much, uh, so much craziness in such a short amount of window. You know, I just arrowed this great bull, um, you know, and sprayed this bear in the face with pepper spray. It takes <laughs> off my bulls down. He's 40 yards above me. It looks like a great, you know, mature, big old six point. And, uh, and yeah, it was a pretty unreal experience. Um, and fortunately, you know, that, that black bear took off the other way, um, and fortunately, again, it was not a grizzly <laughs> that ran through that cloud of uh, pepper spray and got me. But, um, yeah, holy smokes. I mean, just the, just the adrenaline rushing through and the excitement at the same time, it was, uh, that was a pretty, pretty cool experience at the time. I mean, I was shaking, I was smiling, I was happy all at the same time. And, um, so then, you know, I wanted to really kind of see what happened here and, uh, looked like that bull had bedded down twice. And that bear had got him up, um, you know, probably nipping at his, nipping at his hamstrings or whatever, trying to, trying to start, you know, start his meal. But, um, yeah, shoot, he, they, he, that bear had paced and obviously done circles around that, that bowl for a while and, uh, blood all over the place. And it was just a pretty grisly scene. And, um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I went down and, um, made a short video or I tried to make a short video. I grabbed my phone out and I, I wanted to kind of show the scenario, this whole scene that, you know, that I was looking at. And I could hardly hold my phone still. <laughs> it, my hand was shaking. I tried to grab it with two hands. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I ended up making a video of this whole thing, showing where the, where the bear had come in all the way to where, um, he had, you know, had that scrap with the bull and all the way up to where the bull finally laid down and, and died. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, after that, you know, I, I'm not really sure how much pepper spray is in a can of pepper spray, like how many seconds you have to pull the trigger. <sighs> um, I definitely hammered it for a couple seconds, but, uh, I'm assuming there's a significant amount more. I need to just empty that can of bear spray probably just figured out no but yeah so uh when it broke down that bowl and um i tell you what there's always uh gray jays and squirrels and you know critters popping sticks and making noises and uh, i've never had a time breaking down an animal because remember this is dark timber it's it's pretty dark in there uh and everything's kind of close quarters and so every little stick every little chatter um, every time a bird would flap in a tree right next to you, you're thinking of bears <laughs> barreling down on you, ready Adrenaline. to take his prize. But, um, but no, that bear never came back. So I never did, you know, I had one eye kind of glancing out, just expecting that bear to come sneaking in. And, um, that pepper spray obviously, uh, doesn't number on their nostrils and he did not come back. So, uh, yeah, I probably set a a speed record as far as breaking that animal down. Um, now I never, just because of where this bull was, I never pack bone out, but I actually quartered this elk out, and, uh, <laughs> you know, hit the quarters off and, you know, threw them in bags, threw them in the pack. And, um, my first intention was to get them out of those woods and into kind of a meadow where I could add a little more open so I could see. So, um, I did that. I broke them down, got all the meat stripped off and, um, started yarding trips out, got it into a big opening and, um, piled it up there, uh, for the trek out. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was Montana for me. Um, 
and then from there, you know, as again, it's by myself. So it was just a lot of back and forth, a lot of trips. And now this bull was still, he was a great, you know, six point bull, big mature bull. Um, not as big as the Rosie that I took here in Washington as far as body wise, but I still got 240 pounds of meat off him. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's, you know, well over 500 pounds of meat we've, we've got this year for elk, which yeah, is great to have. Crazy. Um, obviously we're not able to eat that much, but we have a lot of folks around us, family that, um, either, you know, weren't successful or, or they just don't get opportunities to go out and hunt. So, um, you know, we've got a lot of people that will utilize a lot of this meat. Um, you know, folks that, you know, could use it and they, they will use it. So, um, we will definitely have a lot of people we're able to, uh, kind of pass meat to, but that's one advantage of, of getting an elk or two is, uh, it's a lot of meat. Um, the other advantage is you get to kind of get creative with how you make up the, uh, the meat. You get to build steak, you know, create all these different cuts of steaks. Obviously you do that. But then, um, every year you kind of like to try new things. This year we did a bunch of bratwurst, um, did a bunch of, uh, different, uh, just mixes for burgers. You know, I made some sausage, with a just uh, like an Italian blend that we that we grow the the herbs we get out of our garden and then you know I did some spicy stuff I did some jalapeno stuff from the garden um, and uh, it's just fun to play and get different little recipes and blends mixed up with a lot of the burgers so uh, that's kind of what we've been doing here we're up till spent a couple of late late nights midnight. Just yeah. trying to get these things cut up and ground, and usually I'm doing it all by myself. But uh, yeah, hell, well, you I actually, wasn't. I wasn't much help. I had to you see patients for like all a weekend. Half an hour and, the other day. I, I helped <laughs> the other night. I stuffed bags for a good couple hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's it's this time of year gets harder because the days get shorter and getting up isn't quite as easy. It doesn't get light till later and. I don't know. We're working and stuff. And then I had a couple busy weeks of getting our stealthy, um, putting together the dehydration and canning guide. Um, once we got all the stuff put together for it, Ryan went on his elk hunt and then I had to actually format it. And that was a lot of work. So yeah. I think this week was like a, I feel like a downer week for me. I feel like I need to sleep or something, uh, more, but yeah, we have a lot of meat yeah, around here. I know. I, um, you know, with all that hunting in September and into October, um, I think it was October 10th that I ended up killing that bull. Yeah, definitely feeling it, you know. Um, as far as nutrition-wise, you know, I feel good eating the meals that I'm eating back there, but it doesn't really matter how, how good you're eating. You come away tired. Yeah. It's um, packing bulls out by yourself is hard, and it, it can be... Uh, you know, a huge challenge and it's just a grind. You basically just have to put your head down, um, you know, throw the headlight on, put your head down and grind. And one thing I like to do is, uh, I just listen to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to podcasts on my phone. Um, while I'm, you know, humping meat out of the hills, it's just, man, it just passes the time one foot after another and, and uh, listen to something good. Listen to, uh, yeah, a lot of, Rich Outdoors and Gritty Bowman, all these podcasts I needed to catch up on, and um, a lot of Eastman's Elevated. So, um, yeah, it was great. I love it. It's hard, uh, but after you're done and you slap that last backpack onto the tailgate of your truck, that is uh, that is quite a, a feeling when you get done with it all. And um, yeah, I came away from Montana just it it's so much of a different feeling in Montana. You just get to see so much more stuff. Um, you know, I saw Fox. I had this little Fox when I was packing my bull out, a little Fox came down and sat, huh, shoot, sat like 20 yards in front of me. First I thought it was a coyote came out of the brush, came down and, um, then he just sat there and looked at me. Uh, cool little red Fox had not a care in the world that I was there and, uh, saw, you know, a lot of really good moose, Saw some great bulls in Montana, um, a lot of cow moose there. 
those bulls are rutting right now, so you can kind of play with them. You can, you know, kind of um, call them in pretty dang easily. It's uh, it's a lot of fun that first week in October in Montana. Um, just get to see a lot of critters. So yeah, yeah, it was a fun trip. But that's kind of a that's kind of the wrap on elk season for me so far. It's over. I don't have any more elk tags. I don't think my body could handle another <laughs> oh elk gosh. trip right now. But. We would have to get, we'd have to invest in like another, I think a lot of our, I mean, fortunately we have commercial uh, walk-in coolers across the street because yeah. I don't even think our yeah, freezers in the house can we're really take lucky the capacity of what we have right now. Because, um, you know, yeah, when you get home, you don't have to get right on it. You can, you know, leave it in a game bag, hang it up in the walk-in cooler and and uh, let that air get on it and you know you can give it a couple few days if you don't have time right away to start breaking the meat down and doing all that so it's uh yeah we're just super lucky in that respect that we have that with the, the business yeah but um yeah so that's been uh that's been the season so far a couple more hunts coming up so we'll probably get to talk about those when they're all over mm-hmm. hopefully there's some success there but um yeah it's been uh it seems like elk season went in the blink of an eye. I mean, it's came and gone in no time. Um, the whole year, you know, you're anticipating, you're waiting, you just can't wait for September to show up. And it seems like every year you get older, it's, it's there and it's gone quicker than the year prior. So um, definitely got to take advantage of that, that month, month and a half. It's uh it's short lived. So Yeah. Now we're rolling into bad weather, wind, rain, getting a lot of snow on the mountains. Uh, I think we're going to have a really good mule deer rut this year. So uh, really looking forward to November and um, getting back into the hills of Idaho and Montana and chasing uh, some ruddy bucks around and getting in on that. Yeah. Work your tail off in the mountains. Oh, don't even start with me. You love it. It's your thing. Yeah. So we're gonna have to start talking train to hunt because we, you know, spring will get here in no time after hunting season. Yeah, got to start ramping it back up. And um, you know, that's one thing I can say about going into this year is I felt great. Um, and you know, every year, you know, even before train to hunt, I've always felt great. I always try to stay in shape. But the train to hunt is just—it's changed everything. You're just—you're just that much more in shape. You know, you're preparing for these challenges. So. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the train to hunt season to yeah. get back after it and do a couple states. Um, trying to get Washington on the board so we can get one here again. But, uh, yeah. yeah, that's going to be exciting. Get after it, and that'll be the next challenge is just training to try to tackle these train to hunt events and get me back out shooting the bow again a whole lot and uh, working out, running, all that fun stuff. Yeah. If you want to find the show notes for this podcast, you can at huntharvesthealth.com slash podcast slash 2017 elk. All right. Well, until next time, everybody, have a great week. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.